Hello, and welcome to the Slow Style Home Podcast. If you don't want a cookie-cutter, generic home, and instead you want a beautiful, meaningful home that's layered with personality, then you are going to be so inspired by the conversations we have on this show. We talk about why the environments we create matter and how to set up our rooms to evoke specific feelings and experiences that are right for you wherever you are in your life right now. I'm Zandra, your host and creator of the Slow Style Home Framework that teaches you how to make really thoughtful and informed decisions about your home rather than chasing current trends that may not last or staying stuck with rooms you hate, feeling overwhelmed with too many choices. Right now, when you join our monthly membership, the Slow Style Society, you'll get a personalized deep dive into your vision of what a dream home looks and feels like. And together, we'll come up with a plan on how to achieve that. If that sounds pretty awesome to you, go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society for all of the details. I'll tell you a little bit more about it later on. Right now, let's just jump into today's episode. If you're here because you want to create a home you love without breaking the bank or having to move to some imaginary out-of-reach dream home, I've got good news for you. And if you're here because you want a beautiful home, but you don't think you have the creative chops to make it happen, I'm going to change your mind about how you think of yourself. And if you're here because you've already invested a bunch of money in stuff and inherited stuff along the way, and you don't know how to make it all work together, this is also the right place for you. I'm Zandra, host of the Style Matters podcast, and for six years, we've been interviewing the best designers in the business, not about trends or quick fixes or secret decorating tips, but about how to train your eye and practice actual skills and offer new ways to think about the meaning of home. Welcome to my slow style approach to creating your dream home. Later in the show, I'll share the first step you can take for free to get you started. But right now, let me introduce you to today's guest. Do you live somewhere or have you visited a place where the place itself became an aesthetic? I'm talking about how the landscape of the natural world has shaped the built environment to such an extent that it's hard to tell where one leaves off and the other starts. That's how I feel about Maine, especially the Maine coast, a place I spent all of my childhood summers. If you've ever dreamed of what a perfect beach cottage, lake house, or home in the woods would feel and look like, you're going to love this episode. I was delighted to see a book come out called The Maine House, and it fulfilled all of my hopes and expectations for the beauty that comes out of composing a home aligned with where it's situated. This conversation with Maura McAvoy, Basha Burwell, and Kathleen Hackett, the women responsible for creating this stunning book, gave me such pleasure, and I hope you'll feel the same. A quick note, because there were four of us on the call all at the same time, the editing was a little bit trickier than normal, so I apologize in advance if there are any quirky sounds that you wouldn't normally hear during this podcast. 
But hopefully it won't matter to you because the conversation is just so good. Here they are. Maura McAvoy, Kathleen Hackett, and Basha Burwell, welcome to the Style Matters podcast. We're having a party today. There's four of us. <laughs> I, I have to admit that when I heard the title of this book and I saw the front cover, I didn't even have to look at the table of contents to know that I wanted to interview you guys. And that is because I, too, have a personal connection to Maine. And we're going to talk about each of you have a personal connection as well. But I spent all of my childhood summers between my grandmother's house in Auburn, Maine, and a beach cottage outside Portland in a place called Higgins Beach. And um, I get the pull of Maine and, and its natural beauty and its sense of place. And I've talked in different places, either on the show or with my students, about my imaginary beach cottage that I have been dreaming of for, oh gosh, um, you know, 40 years or something. I've probably been dreaming about this. There is just something about the Maine coast and like I said, it's a sense of place, and we're going to really talk about that. So so thank you, first of all, for indulging my fantasies, because this book hits them all. But I wanted to start with each of you about why you wanted to make this book. Okay, uh, this is Mara, um, and uh, I am actually sitting right now in the cottage in Maine that my grandparents bought. My grandmother never wanted to travel anywhere in the world. She just wanted to go from her house in Massachusetts to the back porch here in Maine. And uh, from that back porch, we look at about a mile of marshland. Mm -hmm. The back end of that view is a hill. At a certain point, and I remember this so clearly, the um, this thing called a condominium complex was built on that hill when my grandmother oh, no. was quite old. And the sadness and the dismay of <sighs> watching that, you know, thing being built over my grandmother's sunset view. And I think it really left a mark with me. Yeah. We were devastated. So as I grew up and I watched these were a beach community and uh, a very, you know, humble beach community originally. I love those. Those are the best kinds. The house that I live in was, um, you know, one room up and one room down with a big porch. <laughs> and because everybody was outside all the time. And so watching them starting to, you know, people move here with a lot of money and they, they knock them down. So for me, that was it. And I, I'm sure it started with my grandmother's reaction to that condominium complex. I, I can feel it viscerally in my heart right now as you're talking about it, that pain, yeah. Yeah, just so sad. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, let's, you know, we've got to document these houses while they're still standing. And so uh, together, we started gathering these homes that we really felt represented this mission that we're mm. on. And Basha, how about you? Where did your, what, can you add to that? What, what about yours? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, mirroring your experience, actually. Um, so I grew up in Portland, Maine, and I spent many summers and most weekends just 15 miles north up in South Freeport, which is a little, oh, yeah. little village. And I had, um, both my parents were born and raised in South Freeport, 
And so eventually both sets of grandparents were there. And as a child, I would, I was lucky enough to stay with one or either, either of them throughout my entire life, basically. And like Mora, I had seen a lot of change in the state starting, I would say from Portland on up. And it felt time to kind of get involved in a project where we would be documenting and preserving as many homes and also just iconic main buildings that that I'd become attached to over a lifetime. And Basha, so so you had um, so you grew up in Portland and you had the the connection to South Freeport. And so, are any of the places that you remember from childhood are they still standing? Yes, my grandparents' houses are still standing, and they're there in South Freeport. And our cottage, which is right on the harbor in Hairsigate, is still there. We still share it with a hundred cousins. We 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 essentially have twin cottages, and it's also tiny, and still has the original bathtub that's I think about maybe three and a half, four feet long, and it's quite it's essentially untouched inside. Love it. And then Kathleen, you were brought in, and what's your connection to Maine? Well, I I have to give my mother um, all the credit because um, she called my sister and I her traveling companions, and she loved to drive through the beautiful towns in Vermont where we grew up, always, always pointing out the handsome historic architecture. You know, she'd always say, look at that beautiful door, and aren't those old windows just magnificent? And now that's a perfect cupola. She would go on and on. And we were like, you know, seven and eight. And the flip side is she she just, you know, murmur to herself, isn't it a sin they tore that wonderful old house down? Mm. And all of this mm-hmm. sunk in. But coming from, you know, the only landlocked New England state, we would take summer trips to Maine, to Agunquit mm. Beach in the 70s and early 80s. And everything just tasted better, felt better, looked more beautiful there than anywhere else. But now with my own family, we spend our summers right around the corner from my sister in a house that I walked by for 20 years, every single time hoping it would be mine one day. It's a tiny, tiny cape built in 1860. It has that pretty front door, those nice windows, and a preserved carriage house door, which, you know, needless to say, my mother would approve of. Um, <laughs> but, but more to the point, I think it, um, it exemplifies the kind of uh, main living, a, a version of it that I know Maura, Basha, and I are hoping inspire people. You know, it's not excessive. It's not over the top. We are living sort of in conjunction with the surroundings. I I just hope that what we're doing makes a dent. Right. Oh, well, I mean, you cannot help but look through the book and then read the the sort of the love and the passion in your words and and want to preserve everything. It would be a horrible shame if all of this were to go away. And and you know, I too have witnessed the change um, in in who comes to the beach each summer <clears throat> and what what happens because Higgins Beach uh, was this little community with these little beach cottages, and then slowly over time. 
huge behemoths would be bought, would be, you know, the little cottage would be torn down in these huge like mansions. And, and they looked like something you could pluck out of suburbia USA. I mean, there was nothing that tied the architecture to the land. Um, they were all about modern conveniences. And I know you talk in your book about the slap of the screen door. And for whoever has ever stayed at an old cottage, uh, you know, they're on a lake or on a beach, you know that sound. And it's so, it's annoying in the best way. <laughs> exactly. I also want to say that my dad and my grandmother and then me to my children, we can't help ourselves, but we always breathe in this big breath and we go, oh, you're going to sleep well tonight. There's something about the ocean air that makes you sleep deeply. (laughs) My mother and my grandmother always said that. In the introduction, Kathleen talks about how you all resisted the idea of coming up with a definition for what a main house is. Which I totally get because I resist all kinds of style categories and, and, and boxed in definitions. But, but I do know that there are some common themes that you see in many of the homes that you've included in your book. And I, I'd like to talk about some of them, at least the ones that I kind of pulled out. Starting with the connection between house, land, and sea. How do you see the homes reflecting or, or having conversations with their surroundings? Well, well, the three of us are on a mission. I I think we just recently decided that this wasn't just a book that we were uh, producing, but we're really on a mission. And that's to preserve the main uh, of our childhoods that we just described. Um, And also to inspire people to tread lightly on the land. You know, so much of what makes Maine special is that constant dialogue that goes on between the man-made and mother nature. Mm-hmm. And when, when that com- the conversation only sings when, when we're respectful of what's around us. So there are so many great examples of this in the book. One of which is the stone cottage on page 192. Okay. It's, on a, it's on an island in Midcoast, Maine. It's made entirely from the material that the island provided. Oh, I know exactly the house you're talking about because I've bookmarked it a million times. The stone house. Yes, I'm looking at it as you speak. Go ahead. It's actually on the cover as well. Okay, right. Um, and it, it appears as if it spontaneously sprouted up from the <laughs> land. And, you know, the, the, the fascinating thing about this and the, the point that we'd love for people to take away is that... Um, the water determines how much land surrounds that surrounds that house depending on the tide. So when the tide is low, they have three acres. Mm. When the tide is high, they have one acre. There are no bulkheads, no uh. barriers, no elaborate engineering to keep the water at bay. This is yeah. total respect for what's around the house. Um, yeah. You know, every spring when the owners open the place up, they fully expect surprises like the one year that a ferocious tide threw a huge boulder into the middle of their living room. Oh my gosh. You know, they're working with mother nature here. So if you look at the picture of the living room, you'll mm-hmm. see that a rod runs the circumference of the uh, the living room up high and it has yeah. hooks hanging from it. And this is where uh, they hang their furniture up in the off season. <gasps> 
Oh my gosh. If the old boulders and water come crashing through, their furniture's safe. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I can see the hooks right now. Yeah. And there's another really great example in the mini modernist compound on page 116, Uh which is this beautifully scaled trio of buildings that kind of bring to mind monopoly pieces. They're super simple. They they do nothing to distract you from the beauty surrounding them. They look Lilliputian, really, nestled among the towering spruces. Yes. And they're clad in I think it's spruce, it may be spruce or fir that that's been that's weathered to the color of the granite ledge that surrounds them. We'll be back after a quick break. I assume you're here because you want a one-of-a-kind, personality-filled home, right? Well, in order to have that, you need to define and develop your signature style. When you do that, you're going to understand how to mix what you already have with new things you find, focusing on who you are and what you love, putting it all together in a cohesive way. So what's stopping you? Well, let me know if this sounds about right. Not enough time, not enough money, and a lack of creativity or design knowledge, which makes you feel overwhelmed and insecure about pulling the trigger and changing things up. This is why I created the Slow Style Society, to help you take action on making your dream home a reality. It's part social club for people who like to just geek out on design and part hands-on learning experience where you get better and better at making decor decisions for each room in your home. And for the next few weeks, I'm offering all new members an additional one-on-one style session with yours truly. So I'll take you through the lessons so you know exactly what to focus on inside the Slow Style Framework in what order, and you'll have a personalized support system from me to get you there. Go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society so we can get started right away. Let's not wait for that imaginary perfect time to create your beautiful, meaningful home. Again, go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society. Okay, back to the episode. Yeah, you can. I mean, they're they're just so much a part of the land. You you. I mean, it's it's not that you can't see them, but they are, they they are completely um, respectful of the property itself. Yeah, they're having a really civilized conversation with nature, <laughs> yeah. right? And yeah. you know, the impulse might be to build one big house, but we all know that we typically live in two, maybe three rooms in any house. And Mm. here was a solution um, that suited those surroundings just so beautifully. So I can see how uh, one big house would have not worked. I mean, the way the houses are even there, it's almost like they were kind of thrown on the ground the way the boulders have been thrown on the ground. That is exactly, exactly right. You know, Um, we have one um, one house, house, a little peak. A little peak. Uh, and I loved Maria Berman, who was the, the half of the architecture team that did that house. She said, and I think this should be something that people always have in their minds. She said, the minute you site a house on a piece of land, you change the land irrevocably. 
So it's a it's a big responsibility of stewardship. Yeah, exactly. Maura, you talk about naming your own cottage Back of the Moon. And like I've now said several times, growing up on the beach in Maine, all of the cottages are named. Is this a Maine thing or do do all cottages everywhere have names? Like what is with the name thing? Because I love it. It's charming. But is there a backstory there? In my mind, I think the naming of these beach cottages were... It was like naming, you know, your fourth child. They were built to be part of a family that would be, you know, tr- that would be handed down. And in Wells here, we have a few houses surrounding us that are um, in their fifth and sixth generation. So, Maura, what is what is the story of your name, Back of the Moon? So my mom's dream was to name a house Back of the Moon, which was... The name of a fictitious inn in um, a movie uh, starring Jean Tierney called Leave Her to Heaven. Um, And it was an inn on an island in Maine. And she (laughs) always fell in love with that name. And so I, I took it. just want to jump in here for a second before we continue with the conversation and make sure you know about one of the ways I can help you out when it comes to your home. One of the frustrations I hear about the most is that feeling of overwhelm. You know, there are too many choices and so many different price points and how on earth do you pick a paint color that you're not going to get tired of? And then I hear the lament, you know, I don't even know what my style is. Well, I've got a way for you to figure that out without relying on or getting boxed into traditional style categories like farmhouse or Hollywood glam or boho. The problem with these categories is that they're driven by products, not by what we want to experience in our homes in a really personalized way, unique to our lives and situations. So I invite you to go to our website, littleyellowcouch.com, and download our free style guide. I call it the Style Mashup, and in it, you'll start to connect the dots between intangible feelings that you want to conjure up in your home and concrete design elements that will reflect those feelings and desires. Again, go to littleyellowcouch.com. There's a button right at the top on the homepage, and click on it to download our free guide today. All right, let's get back to the conversation. Another theme that I picked up uh, is is the idea of coming of age. And I don't know what it is about these cottages, these homes that seem to cement so many childhood memories in their owners. But but it's so true, don't you think? There, there's something particularly appealing about these homes or where they're situated that uh, appeals to children. The way you ask that question is perfectly put. Um I thought of a quote that relates to this question and it and uh, E.B. White once said, always be in the presence of wonder. And as you know, his writing cottage is actually featured in the book. And the back cover is actually the dock that is in front of his writing space, his writing cottage. But the thing about the homes that we chose for this book is that most of them are situated in nature in some way. They might be on a lake or on a cove or have wild Atlantic Ocean out in front of them. They might be in the woods, you know, on an island. Um, 
And I think that children who get to grow up in these spaces and places are open and curious, fully awake, you know, all five senses all the time. They're playing, they're exploring, they're living in the moment. And most of these people get to go back to these houses. Either they live in them year round or they're visiting them time after time. And those experiences of collecting tadpoles or stomping in mud puddles or hiding in closets that smell like old mothballs, (laughs) you know, or coming in from the forest and there's pine on your fingers because you've been climbing the trees. Um, I had a memory of, I would sleep in this grandmother's, my grandmother's house and it was up in an upstairs bedroom that had those highly slanted walls. Oh yeah. And I would stare at the wallpaper and it's forever imprinted on my, in my memory. It's the weirdest, most wonderful kind of memory I have, you know, it's taking a bath in this little tiny tub that you have to fill up with pots and pans of hot water from the kitchen. You know, I just think that, um, that's what happens. And then we become adults and luckily we can still hold on to those, most of those memories. I, I think the inconveniences themselves that these cottages impose upon us are what makes them special. Like that filling up the bathtub with pots and pans. I mean, in the moment you might be rolling your eyes, but of course your child's going to remember that. I mean, it's memorable, right? Exactly. Exactly. So I, I remember uh, another another thing that I used to do as a kid. A lot of ceilings and walls are still in their their unfinished pine, and so you know, staring up from your bed at the ceiling and seeing the faces that are in the knots of the wood, or the creatures, the animals, and then I remember then snuggling with my kids in the beds and doing the same thing and seeing what creatures and animals they saw. I mean, it's the simplest things. They come out of boredom, but it's memorable. I think what what also ties back to kind of this this theme and idea of of, um, not not really wanting a lot of change is that children love that, love the kind of the familiarity of coming back to a place that looks the same. And then there's the the couch with the old slipcover that's maybe faded and torn and not so beautiful anymore, but it we don't want it to change. You know, um, the horsehair mattresses, like I remember those being taken out of our cottage and it was like upsetting in a way, even though we want to be sleeping on (laughs) more comfortable beds. Um, what other, other common themes or stories or anything else that you'd like to tell that we haven't talked about yet? Well, I guess I, uh, there are so many stories from the owners of these cottages that underscore exactly what we're talking about. Um, the one that comes to mind immediately is when the owner of the saltwater farm mm-hmm. first saw the farm with his then wife. The minute he stepped on the property, he was smitten. They were smitten. Uh, they got back on the ferry, had a cup of tea, made a call and bought the farm. Mm. And he says, I didn't even, you know, run my pocket knife into a beam in the barn to see if it mm-hmm. was, you know, going to fall down any minute. But uh, when when they went to look at the place, the broker said, this place needs a lot of love. And mm-hmm. this is a man of very few words. And his his final comment to me, 40 years later, he said, Kathleen, that's what I do. I give it a lot of love. 
And Basha, don't you agree that, um, and Kathleen too, you were there, that he is a man with such individual style? Yes. yes. And yet it's one of the most spare and unfurnished homes that is in the book. It's it's shockingly beautiful, kind of almost shaker quality the way he lives in it. It's just the bare essentials are there. But yeah. he, what, yes, what the result of that is that the surroundings do all the talking. You know, yeah. what's so beautiful mm-hmm. about a bedroom with a bed, a table, a lamp, and a chest right. of drawers is that the it's it's what's outside it that makes that bedroom just breathtaking. Oh, I, I wanted to c- curl up and read a book all day long on that bed and occasionally glance out the window as, and of course my window would be open and of course the linen curtain would be blowing in the breeze and, you know, the dappling the light. I mean, I was there. I was totally there. Well, we want you to feel that way. And one of the neat things about this project is that the three of us have actually been, we've slept in these places. We've had lunch with these people. We've borrowed their cars, their trucks. We've been on boat rides with them. I mean, it's, we've swum, we've gone swimming in front of their lake houses on, you know, we were on hot, extremely hot August days. I mean, it's, it's been like an entire kind of experience. Best book writing experience ever. (laughs) I have to say, Sandra, hands down, best book writing experience <laughs> ever. And I wrote a book for Dolly Parton. So that's saying something. Wow. That's some stiff competition. Yeah. Anybody else have any other kind of behind the scenes stories you'd like to share about any of these houses? One of the, like the beauties that I mentioned early about making this book is that we, we kind of set off on these somewhat impromptu, I would say almost like road trips. Um, we're often taking, you know, getting up at 4.30 in the morning to drive, to take a ferry, what have you. So we had a shoot scheduled on an island in Midcoast, Maine. And Maura and I were able to, we were invited to sleep at at the living space, which is the crow's nest, which is the, the name of the property in the book is called the house over the shop. And we had to climb this rickety ladder, which I think might be a vintage apple picking tree ladder, a ladder that you would use to climb an apple tree. It does look like that. And it looks, it looks very much like, are you, this is where I'm going to sleep, really? (laughs) Yes. And so we had to kind of very carefully climb up this little ladder. And then we ended up wanting to shoot up in this little sleeping loft. And it had these lovely little camp cots that she bought at L.L. Bean, but they were covered in these incredible French linens. I think that's, that's one thing I love about main houses is the all of this beauty that the owners put into things even though the surroundings themselves are kind of rough and that sleeping loft is a perfect example those linens are gorgeous but it's unfinished beams that are that you're sleeping under in the eaves i mean but it there's something about that mix of of kind of good living in in a kind of rough environment and i i guess that's I mean, the ocean is rough. The ocean is powerful. The ocean is commanding. And and so it's kind of a nice way of bringing that idea inside the home. I mean, I'm just thinking about lobster dinners where you, you, you're cracking the lobster open. I mean, it's this gourmet food. At least most of us think of lobster as gourmet. But you're eating it, you know, on a picnic table that's that weathered, you know. I just – it's such a lovely mix. 
I have a, um, a, a uh, behind the scenes story in that vein. It was when I was shooting the, the house on the island that's on the, the cover. I was taken out to the island by the caretaker uh, and it was off season. And, um, and I said to him, oh, you know, you could just drop me off and I'll be fine and come back in a couple of hours. And it's the only house on this little tiny island. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else but the house. And he said, no, 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 I can't leave you alone if something happened. You know, I'll, I have plenty to do. I shot for a couple hours and then I was waiting for like the twilight, perfect sunset shot to happen. And I was really done. And I said, well, you know, I'm just going to hang out. And uh, he said, oh, would you like some oysters? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, um, yeah, uh, okay, but like, I think the electricity wasn't even on in the house. You know? <laughs> and I was, he said, oh, okay, follow me. And we go walking down this, you know, beautiful uh, pine needle path down to this little dock. And he gets on his hands and knees and he pulls out this bag from the water yeah. of oysters. Oh my gosh. And, and then he, you know, he got two beers out of a cooler in his, in his little boat and we sat there and he cracked open the, the beers and the oysters and we waited for the sun to be perfect. Oh my gosh. It was, it was heaven. It was absolutely a heavenly moment. I have one more little behind the scenes um, story. Um, like I said, we have shot on a few islands and often, well, we actually would never bring our car with us. So we would always be at the mercy of either our backpacks and ourselves and our feet or, or some of the homeowners would pick us up. We had one homeowner had this pickup truck and he picked us up at the dock. And I remember he had his dog in the truck and he was covered in dog hair, the entire interior of the truck. And the back was filled with recyclables. But the next day we had to borrow a vehicle to get across the island. And not only that, there was no GPS, no Wi-Fi. And so we were drawing maps on little scraps of paper. And so he lent us this his vintage stick shift Citroen car, which we drove around for the entirety of the day, which meant we we went about 20 miles an hour, you know. <laughs> This has been such a fun conversation. Um, I, I, well, I don't need to say any more. It was just, as you can tell from my own voice, I mean, I'm just gobbling it all up. I'd like to ask each of you, why does style matter? So at the main house, our idea of style is really about more of a sense of community than a sense of fashion. It's, it's why we, in life travel, you know, if there was not style, we wouldn't travel. In Maine, there's definitely um, a style that is about saltiness and community and family and generations and all of those words um, that just represent a, a certain kind of way of life. And that's at the main house, our idea of style. Mm. I think that any community where the weather can be a bit extreme bonds people together because you've all been through something together. You've been through a storm together. You, you know, you've been snowed in or, 
or in Maine, so much of the livelihood is dependent upon the, the, the fishing, the seafood. And so that, you know, that can be dangerous. And I just think that there's something very much about the way people make their living and, you know, the way they pull a bag of oysters out of the, out of the off the side of the dock just to have lunch or a snack. That, yeah, it, it creeps into the style. It defines the style. Who, who wants to go next? So, um, so your question about what do style and beauty do for us? Um, so the way, I mean, I've always grown up as somebody, I think quite sensitive to just my surroundings, my immediate surroundings. Um, and the fact is that in the main house book and in my own home, Maura's house, Kathleen's house, um, good, a good aesthetic, a good interior space, it works on me almost like it would if you saw a beautiful piece of art. Essentially, these things, you know, they do. They have an effect on you. And perhaps you are somebody who is drawn to a very minimalist um, aesthetic and minimal interior architecture, like a Corey Daniels who kind of has these beautiful 50-foot spaces but filled with a very particular um, chosen collection of objects. Or perhaps you live in a more, you know, um, we have an artist that we feature in the book where she's filled every corner of her space with something that she's made or painted. Every wall, every piece of clothing, and every piece of furniture. I guess I feel that, you know, these, this kind of paying attention to the things around you, the furnishings, the architecture, interior architecture, the artwork, it does have an effect on us. And um, we all have such, it's such a subjective thing. What, what is, what is beauty? What is um, the right considered design, you know? Um, but our, our goal too, with this book was to show you a real variety of, of what that means to people. Because the homes that we've chosen are infused with the character of the owners themselves. I want to say that more than most other interior design books, these homes are not done. They're not perfect. They're, they're lived in. And, and yet they are absolutely gorgeous. You, you, I mean, I don't know that a designer, quote unquote, came in and did any of them. I mean, they are just the family. And, and yet they're stunning. Yeah. Well, one of our, one of the boxes we, that had to be checked when we consider a property was that we all felt, all three of us have strongly stated that the spaces themselves had to be furnished, decorated, filled with the things that the homeowner has brought to them or the family has brought to them, or they've been handed down to, but they cannot be done by a decorator. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, yes. And it's such a, a fresh, <laughs> nice relief to have a book like this. Kathleen? You know, it's funny, as a, a writer and an editor on food and interior design, I ask myself this question all the time, especially at times, you know, when the world has kind of been brought to its knees like it had <clears throat> in the last few years, you kind of wonder if it matters and if it's important. But, you know... I can't get that uh, video of that Ukrainian cellist of his destroyed town of Kharkiv out of my mind. I, I watch it a lot. 
<laughs> you know, that contrast between the backdrop and what he's doing, like a human being playing this very fragile instrument, bringing it alive. And how is it even possible that that cello made it through that? Humans are complicated. And, you know, we, ha we, have, we have opposing impulses all the time, but the creative impulse is the one that is so generous and so giving. And, you know, there's this story, I mean, Bashi, you talk about looking at a beautiful piece of art. There's a story about Monet, you know, he was too old to fight in um, World War I. And he <laughs> thought like, what am I doing? I'm just in my studio making paintings while my countrymen are dying. Mm -hmm. And he, he decided he would make his water lily paintings and then give them to the state. And now they're in their, you know, the orangery. Mm -hmm. for future generations. So that's how he created beauty for time immemorial. And, mm. you know, I think beauty and aesthetics matter because they inculcate these feelings of generosity and hope and optimism. And mm. it, you, you just have to ask yourself, like, what mm. if we didn't care about it? What if we just didn't consider what in, what went into our interiors or how we plated our food or set the table or got dressed or put books on a bookshelf, like what would the world feel like then? Mm -hmm. And uh -huh. I think that these houses, every single one of them, they just evoke this spirit of generosity and optimism. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I look at them and I just, I feel like the world's a better place. Yeah, I agree. I love that idea of generosity, linking it to beauty. That's, it's it's like to go back to the, the sleeping loft in, in the the house that has the shop under it. She took, the, she took the, the care of outfitting camp cots with beautiful linens um, because it mattered and, and, it makes a difference. I mean, she could have, you know, I don't know, gone and gotten really cheap uh, polyester sheets, you know, from Target or whatever. Um, because wh who cares? It's just a sleeping loft and it's not finished and the, you know, the beams are there. But, but instead she made it beautiful. Thank you all for your time today and for, and for putting this beautiful book out into the world. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Sandra. What a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for more info on this episode, things like photos, links, my own takeaways from the conversation, when you go to littleyellowcouch.com, click on podcast at the top, and then just click on an episode and you'll see the show notes page with all of that extra stuff. And while you're at littleyellowcouch.com, you can also learn more about my slow style philosophy when it comes to decorating. You can take a tour of my home, get info about our monthly membership, the Slow Style Society, and of course, download the freestyle guide so you can get started working on your dream home today. Okay, that's all for now. Have a great week. Thanks so much for listening. I know your time is valuable and I really do appreciate you spending it with me. And please, please, please take a minute to leave a review for Slow Style Home wherever you get your podcasts. It honestly does help keep this show on the air and your feedback is highly valuable to me. 
Have a great day, and I'll be back in your earbuds soon. Bye for now. <laughs>